Hey, I'm Doug. Again, uh, if you're watching online or listening to the podcast, we are really glad that you are also with us. We know a lot of folks will watch uh, on the Facebook live stream or listen to a podcast before they you know, come and check it out in the room. And let me guarantee you that uh, it is much better experience in the room. Would you guys agree? Yes? So if you're listening or watching, we hope to see you here soon. Uh, well, for the next four Sundays, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we are going to use this Advent season to help us prepare our hearts for Christmas. And I don't know about you, but it is so helpful for me to start kind of easing my way into this um, Christmas season so that my heart is prepared for the Christmas time. Um, but wherever any of you are on your spiritual journey, uh, this series that we're going to do is going to walk us into Christmas as well, uh, and the series um, is, we're calling it Christmas Rediscovered. Christmas, re- is that right, Brandy? Did I get it right? Redisc- oh, rediscover Christmas. Uh, she makes the graphics in the slide. I don't know. Yeah. Rediscover Christmas, um, because uh, so many of us, uh, you know, Christmas comes around every year, and sometimes it can start to maybe feel a little routine, um, but we want to keep this uh, fresh and rediscover the rich layers of the story of God through the coming of Jesus that we focus on in this Christmas and Advent season. Now, if you're new to the Advent thing... um, and I mentioned this earlier, but if you're just listening now, uh, the, the Advent season, a lot of times we use different themes to guide us through, and there often uh, are these four words that are used in many traditions to guide us through the Advent season, kind of common, but I think helpful, and the themes are, anybody know the themes? Shut one out. There's joy, peace, love, and hope. Yeah, so you guys are good at this, right? These are helpful themes, and this week's Advent theme is Peace, which I think in some ways is a little funny, maybe even ironic for me to be the one speaking on this, because there are times in my life where I wrestle with anxiety, like, big time. There have been seasons in my life where it's been really huge and overwhelming, like, like there have been long seasons, months at a time in the past where, you know, it's kind of wake up in the morning, thinking of everything that I've got to do, that I'm behind on, and everything that might possibly go wrong. That kind of day was my day every day. <laughs> and so for years, God has been working on me. He's been at work to, to teach me how to begin to find at least little bits of peace in the middle of these seasons, especially when things are going hard or going wrong, these storms, these worries, this confusion that often surrounds maybe even seasons of doubt. And while I have a long ways to go, I'm, I'm grateful that God has been growing and transforming me, especially when I look back and see how much Worse it used to be. In fact, looking back sometimes at how big my anxiety had been, um, it's actually kind of encouraging to see that because I think I see some progress, which for me is really hopeful news. Now, the reason I mention this right at the top is, is, is because I think some of you, some of us who wrestle with anxiety, uh, sometimes we think it will never get better. But I am proof um, that there can be It's not automatic, but there can be change. There can be growth. And again, I have a long ways to go, but I'm grateful for how the Father, how Father God is helping me to learn to live in peace more of the time than I ever had thought possible. Now, one of my all-time favorite scriptures has to do, actually, with anxiety and peace. It's my all-time, I think, favorite invitation 
in Scripture. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he says, and let's read this out loud together. It's up on the screen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that invitation. In fact, the word I use, uh, invitation, I use that very intentionally because I I used to read that verse uh, and verses like it as a should. Like, you know, like, hey, here's just more pressure to not feel anxious. And so then I'd, you know, feel guilty when I didn't do it. Um, And how many of you know that that doesn't help your anxiety, right? And and so... um, The other thing about it, too, that it's an invitation is because the heart of the Father God is not one of pressure or trying to shame us into doing really anything. He invites us. Hey, here's a reality that he invites us into, and I'm one of the people that needs to hear the invitation of that verse again and again. It reminds me, Doug, there's no need to be anxious. You can walk with God. You pour it out to him. You tell him what's going on. You remember, Doug, the good things that God has done. And then his peace, peace that doesn't seem to make sense because everything around you is so bleak, that peace will guard your heart and your mind. See, I also love the word guard in there. Um, What are some other words for guard? Just shout out another word for guard. Anyone? Protect. Shield. Defend. Doorway? Doorman. Oh, doorman. Like Dalton and Andrew are two doormen, like our bouncers. Otherwise known as uh, greeters, bouncers. Yeah, yeah, right? It's good stuff. So, so in, in the Greek, which this was originally written in, there, that, that use of peace there um, and, and the guarding your peace is a military word. It's an actual active protecting. Um, like finding peace and guarding your heart and mind is not a passive deal. We don't suddenly just go, okay, I'm just going to go passive and then finally, maybe I'll experience peace. No, we, that, that just doesn't work that way. In a sense, really, peace has to be fought for, which is interesting. Has to, peace has to be fought for, and then that peace, God's peace, will guard our hearts and minds in Jesus. Not just in our circumstances, not at all, but it guards our hearts and minds in Jesus. See, the same Jesus who came to fight for your and my peace. See, for Jesus, uh, it wasn't a passive thing to come to bring us freedom, to bring us peace. It cost him something. So I want to look at the story, the Christmas story, as we begin our journey towards Christmas in our Advent season. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Mm -hmm. One person's excited about that size me. All right, good. All right, here we go. Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to his town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby, the baby, to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning all that they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told, said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen were just as they had been told. Isn't that just a sweet little story? Like, right? Just kind of a sweet story. Um, Nearly every year when I was growing up and then when I had a family of my own, we would read that story right before we would open our presents on Christmas Eve. Anybody else have that tradition that they do or did? A few of us, right? Yeah. Um, And when you hear kind of that traditional, like it's right out of the text, right? You hear the story. What kind of words come to to mind when you think about the, 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 the story of the birth of Christ and the little town of Bethlehem? Anyone, just what kind of feelings does it give us? Warmth. It's kind of a sweet story, isn't it? Very sweet, very cozy for me. You know, it just makes me, I'm inspired to, you know, snuggle up with my family on the couch, you know, get some hot chocolate going, you know, sing some Christmas carols. Uh, In keeping with this week's Advent theme, this story, it seems very peaceful, no? Right? Yeah, it does. Um, But this is just one angle of the Christmas story because there is something else going on here at the same time. In fact, Look at these other pieces of the Christmas story, parts of the Christmas story that we often leave out when we read this story on Christmas Eve with our you know, mug of cocoa. Uh, Matthew 2 gives us a few more details. We read about how the arrival of this baby freaks out King Herod. Verse 1 says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, a band of scholars, some of us know them as the Magi or the wise men, arrived in Jerusalem from the east. And I'm going to pause for just a moment here. Um, listen, uh, here, here's something important right now. Do you see this? Corey Allhand sent me this text last year. And on the bottom, it says, see, see our historically accurate nativity scene, LOL, right? You see where the wise men are? They're in the corner, right? Listen, the wise men came, you know, a year, year and a half, two years after Jesus was born. So, you know, the manger is back here, and that's why you see the wise men up here, because they're on their way, right? Okay? Now, in my house, we always have this argument with my dad, because he sticks them all together. And I'm like, Dad, if you're going to put, 
you know, the wise men with the manger scene, you know, that's just not accurate. You might as well throw Santa Claus in the manger scene, maybe Frosty the Snowman. So um, we, we have that debate every year. And uh, so I like to try to move their wise men to somewhere in the house, but somehow he always finds them and moves them back in their house. But in our house, <laughs> and here at Hope, <laughs> there's the wise men because they're on their way. Um, so there we go, back to the text. The wise men, chapter, uh, verse 2, they asked around, Where can we find and pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We're on a pilgrimage to worship him. And when word of their inquiry got to Herod, he was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. See, declaring, by the way, a king when you already have a king is not good for your health. So back to this here. Verse 4, Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And they told him, Bethlehem. Verse 7, Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were. He got them to tell him exactly when the birth announcement had, uh, star had appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem. And said, go find this child, leave no stone unturned as soon as you find him. Send word and I'll join you at once in your <clears throat> worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again, the same star that they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time. They entered the house, saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother, overcome. They kneeled and worshipped him. Then they opened their luggage and presented gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12, in a dream, they were warned not to report back to Herod. So they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country, which, by the way, would have been a trick because it wasn't just three of them. There were probably way more of them, and there was probably a whole entourage. So that had to be quite a trick for them to get out. And we'll just do a little fast forward here um, and get to the next verse. But, but first, uh, what happens in between is that an angel then warns Joseph uh, to take Mary and Jesus to Egypt right away because Herod wants to kill the child. So they escape. They become refugees. They become asylum seekers in another country. But the rest of Bethlehem is not so fortunate. Verse 16, Herod, it says, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy, two years old and under who lived in Bethlehem and its surrounding hills. He determined this age from the information that he'd gotten from the scholars. And that's when Jeremiah's prophecy was fulfilled. A sound was heard in Ramah, weeping, and much lament. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel refusing all solace. Her children gone dead and buried. And we go, wait, 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 wait. That's tied to the Christmas story? I mean, that's craziness. Like, every little boy age two and under gets murdered by the Roman army? It's enough to turn your stomach, isn't it? What kind of story is God telling here? 
This is not just a sweet, cozy little story. No, the story, the setting for this story is much more dangerous. It's much more treacherous. The situation much more grave and the stakes very, very high. We think, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. (laughs) Well, yes, but that's not exactly the whole story, is it? See, in fact, I think that, that, that a setting or the setting for the Christmas story wasn't safe at all. Um, are any of you familiar with the Lord of the Rings movies or watch the recent Amazon Rings of Power? Anybody here? So, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> so I think that the setting to imagine the Christmas story would look a lot more like this. It would look like Mordor, the land of evil. That would be way more accurate in terms of what was going on in the broader Realm. So then take that little manger scene where Christ is born and now place it in a place like Mordor. And if you can imagine that, does that change for you, give you a little more depth of insight into what is actually going on here? See, because from the most broad whole perspective, that scene is far closer to what's going on here than, you know, this babe in the straw, um, This is not simply, you know, Mary had a baby, the little Lord Jesus is asleep on the hay, the cows moo and the sheep, you know, baa and the camels spit, I guess, right? (laughs) It was a very sweet and a quiet night, a silent night. (laughs) All is calm. Wait a minute, calm? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, there's elements of that scene and the beloved songs that we sing. That is going on, but there is much, much more happening here. There's a cosmic war going on, and the rescue is just beginning. See, friends, the birth of Christ, it was an amazingly tender act of love, yes. But the birth of Christ was also an act of war. Have you ever thought about it that way before? Um, I mean, I'll confess for for the first probably decade of my ministry and preaching through Christmas time, that thought never had occurred to me that Christmas is also an act of war. Some of you might be like, hey, wait a minute, Doug. I thought the Advent theme today was peace. Hang on, we'll get there. We'll get there, right? But Christmas is an act of war against the powers of evil and the enemy. In fact, listen to how the Apostle John describes this war in Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman dressed all in sunlight, standing on the moon and crowned with 12 stars. She was giving birth to a child and cried out in the pain of childbirth. Then another sign alongside the first, a huge and fiery dragon, it had Seven heads and ten horns, a crown on each of the seven heads. With one flick of its tail, it knocked a third of the stars from the sky and dumped them on earth. The dragon crouched before the woman in childbirth, poised to eat up the child when it came. The woman gave birth to a son who will shepherd all nations with an iron rod. Her son was seized and placed safely before God on his throne. The woman escaped herself escaped to the desert to a place of safety prepared by God. All comforts provided her for 1,260 days. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his archangels fought the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought 
back, but they were no match for Michael. They were cleared out of heaven, not a sign of them left. The great dragon, ancient serpent, the one called devil and Satan, the one who led the whole earth astray, thrown out, and all his angels thrown out with him, thrown down to earth. Then I heard a strong voice out of heaven saying, salvation and power are established, kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah, the accuser of our brothers and sisters, thrown out who accused them day and night before God, but they defeated him through the blood of the lamb and the bold word of their testimony. They weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. So rejoice, O heavens, and all who live there, but doomed to the earth and sea, for the devil's come down on you with both feet. He's had a great fall. He's wild and raging with anger. He hasn't much time, and he knows it. Skip ahead in chapter 12 to verse 17 up on the screen here. Next, what happens? Helpless with rage, the dragon raged at the woman, then went off to make war with the rest of her children, the children who keep God's commands and hold firm to the witness of Jesus. Now, you don't see that one on Christmas cards, do you, right? Do you imagine sending cards with Revelation 12 and kind of this crazy scene, you know, to your friends and family? Here's my Christmas card, right? There's a dragon in battle chasing a pregnant woman on the cover, and then you flip open the card that says, hey, season's greetings, may your Christmas be warm and cheery. I just, I haven't seen that card yet. Yes, Dalton might design it, baby, you get it. But that scene there in Revelation 12, what it does is it pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse of Christmas as it looked from somewhere far beyond our galaxy. Revelation 12 is Christmas from God's viewpoint, a rescue mission in a long and bloody war. See, the peace our Father gives us comes at a price for him. Humankind being attacked, and so the Father sends Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to fight for us, to bring us salvation and freedom, to bring us peace with God and shalom in our world. See, this account in Revelation differs radically from the birth stories in the Gospels. Philip Yancey points out that the Revelation version of the Christmas story does not mention shepherds and a baby king. Rather, it pictures a dragon leading a ferocious struggle in heaven. Yancey summarizes it this way. A woman clothed with the sun and wearing a crown of 12 stars cries out in pain as she's about to give birth. Suddenly, the enormous red dragon enters the picture, his tail sweeping a third of the stars out of the sky and flinging them to earth. He crouches hungrily before the woman, eager to devour her child the moment it is born. And at the last second, the infant is snatched away to safety, and the woman flees into the desert, and all-out cosmic war begins. Listen, <laughs> Revelation is a, it's a strange book, no matter how you slice it, okay? And we can't get any deeper into it in just one message here. But in the style of how that book was written, John, who was a friend and follower of Jesus and the author of Revelation, John shows us both what is going on in the visible realm and what's happening in the spiritual unseen realm. See, usually we just view one of the realms, the things we see in the physical world with our eyes, right? But in the book of Revelation, we get to, we get to view them together, 
kind of giving us this quick look behind the scenes at the cosmic impact of what happens on earth when Jesus is born, right? So here, visible on earth, a baby was born. A king got wind of it. A chase ensued. And in heaven, a great invasion had begun, a daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. So while that tranquil manger scene was going on, John also, in Revelation, gives us this picture of the story from from what was happening from the spiritual realm. And from that perspective, the curtain is pulled back and we get a glimpse of the war that has been raging between God and the enemy. And from this perspective, it actually helps make a little more sense of the world that we live in, this fallen world that we live in, where there's so much pain, confusion, anxiety, disappointment. All that stuff starts to get a little clearer where it comes from, what it's influenced by. And we cannot explain why an entire population of baby boys gets slaughtered in Bethlehem. But when we remember that a war is raging, we are less surprised at the agony that unfolded. It still grieves our hearts, but we know that that evil like that happens whenever the enemy is involved. See, God is at war with the powers of evil. And by the way, it wasn't just like, oh, in the heavenlies, there was this war that was happening, and then it spilled over from the heavens to the earth. It wasn't just that, because do you remember what this cosmic battle is over? Can you remember um, what the enemy's goal is? What Satan is trying to do to humankind, what Satan's trying to do to you. See, he wants to take you out. The enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy your heart, your peace, to rob you of the life that God offers and has for you. The enemy's goal is to confuse you, to stir up doubts about God's love for you, God's intentions for you, and God's heart for you. But the hero of the story, God, is out to rescue his people from the hatred and chaos of the enemy. And so the coming and the birth of Christ is an act of war and an act of love. See, Jesus has come to rescue you, to ransom your heart. set you free to be his partner in the story. The story that he's writing, this kingdom of God thing we talk about here. And he did it because he loves you so much. That's why he came. See, Advent is a reminder that he has come to bring us peace. Yes, Peace between God and humankind, but, but also peace that we can experience in the middle of incredible storms. The, the peace that we read earlier where Paul said, the peace that passes all comprehension, 
And in the world that we live in, that's saying something, isn't it? You know, this, this past year um, has been a challenge to some of the places uh, where in the past um, anxiety probably would have really taken me out with just some of the challenges over the last couple few years, I guess, really, when you look at it. Um, it's been difficult for lots of us, lots of us. Um, it, it's been, just honestly, it's been difficult for Heidi and myself, um, and we love, absolutely I love this church family, uh, but it's also been a hard year. Um, we, we have just even personally felt really s- stretched thin, um, being short-staffed, having a lot of responsibilities to cover, sometimes that bringing up you know, opportunities to get very anxious. <laughs> sometimes um, we did okay managing those. Sometimes I did not do as well as I wish. Again, I have long ways to grow. Um, and just kind of feeling stretched thin over this year, we, we, we really knew that we needed some kind of break, and I had this knee replacement thing done, and it kind of pushed everything back, and so it's just been, it's been tricky. But uh, some of you know that, that um, she and I, uh, just a couple weeks ago, went for two weeks, and we were blessed by this ministry that helps pastors take a vacation to Maui. Don't you wish you were a pastor now, right? Yeah. Um, there's no way we could have afforded that. They give cheap housing, and we couldn't have afforded something like that without their place that they let us stay. And so I'm so grateful to that. And I'm really grateful. Um, thank you to those of you who uh, contributed to the staff appreciation gifts, because um, that helped cover some of our expenses. So we're just so grateful that these things came together. And um, so we got to get away, try to take a break, you know, just really step away and get restored so we can be back here with more energy to lead and love the way God's called us to. But one of the things that we did uh, was borrow gear. They had gear at the house um, that we stayed in to go snorkeling. Now, I remembered five years before that, five or so years before that, uh, I snorkeled one other time, and it was the first time I'd snorkeled. And what I remember that first time from five-plus years ago is that I had a hard time breathing through the snorkel. Anybody else, like, breathing through a tube? What the heck, right? Anyone else? Yeah, thank you. Not just me. few of us, right? Um, it's just kind of weird, and I just, I couldn't breathe deeply enough, and so, like, I'm doing what they told me not to do, and I'm, like, pulling my head out of the water, trying to uh, gasp for air, you know, and as soon as you pull yourself out of the water when you're supposed to be floating on the waves is you just start to get hit by the waves, which tossed me around, made it worse, and um, so what I did back then is I, I somehow kind of pulled myself together, reminded myself what the person who rented the gear on the shore, they had said, hey, here's how you use the snorkel gear. And then here, remember this, he said, um, you're in a safe area, you're not going to drown. Um, and what you need to do if that happens where you start to feel kind of this panic rising, you know, just slow your breathing, keep your head down in the water, and then just float and relax so you can breathe. And so somehow before like that panic fully set in and I just like swam in instead of doing that, I remembered what he had told us and I did it and wouldn't you know, it worked. Like it worked. I slowed my breathing, I kept my head under the water, slowed my breathing and then there I was, no sound really when your head is under, not very much sound at all and it was just this peaceful floating in the ocean. Anybody ever done this before? Like right, you see the coral reefs, you see all these crazy, cool-colored fish. It's so peaceful that when that great white shark starts swimming toward me, I was like, yeah, no, that didn't happen, right? 
Well, on our vacation this month, we thought, oh, hey, let's do this again. And they had gear, so we borrowed it. We went snorkeling. And it's been five years since I had snorkeled, so I'm not, you know, by any stretch a pro. We even watched YouTube videos to try to, you know, remember what we were doing. Thank God for YouTube. Um, but the same thing happened. Like, I started going, and at first, like, I had this hard time breathing, like, started losing my breath. But this time, way more quickly, I remembered what worked last time, taking these slow, deep breaths, and right away, right away, actually, I felt this peace and calm. I could breathe. I could enjoy the gift of that moment just floating in the ocean. See, I'd learned this practice um, that wasn't easy, um, but just like real life, when we learn a practice that might not be easy, it worked, worked back then, and then the next time it was actually easier, and then the next time it was even easier, and so just being able to experience some more of the time, some peace worked, not just with snorkeling, but this is how I believe God begins to guide us into trusting him for that peace, that peace that passes all understanding that sounds so elusive when we're in the middle of panic, yet we lean in to the simple invitation. And sometimes, not every time, there's no guarantee, we learn more and more to begin to experience a little bit of peace in difficult circumstances. Uh, Tony, will you come? Some of us need to desperately experience in our real life the peace of God that passes all understanding. Maybe, maybe you're at a place in your life where there are circumstances that understandably, understandably, there's no shame, that those circumstances are driving all kinds of anxiety and fear in your life. Maybe sometimes you feel like you can hardly breathe. Some of us might even identify with this idea like, I feel like I'm drowning sometimes in my circumstances, flooded by fear, anxiety, maybe because of that friendship that is strained or the heartbreak of that relationship that ended or, or you feel that anxiety rise because of the member of your family that you are at odds with and disconnected from. Or maybe for some of us, uh, we feel like financially we're going to get pulled under. We're trying to stay afloat, but it feels like something's grabbing our ankles and about to pull us under. And we just feel anxiety. Some of us, maybe some of us are so unsure about the future or your job or because of a health challenge that you're facing. And maybe waves of fear are just pounding you, trying to knock you over, pull you under. But friends, no matter what way anxiety or fear tries to come at you, no matter your struggle, whether it's one of those or something different, remember this, Jesus offers to walk with us in our battles, in our trials, in our storms, to bring his peace a peace that transcends all understanding. <laughs> like, like the kind of peace that means it doesn't make sense in the situation we're dealing with to actually have peace, but somehow is there anyways. And I'm not trying to say that 
God will necessarily like zap the situation, make it instantly vaporize. That'd be awesome, but no, no, no. Usually that's not what happens. The circumstances you're experiencing, the storm that you're walking through may not change, but the anxiety and the fear that that situation is producing, Jesus offers his peace to guard our hearts and minds in the storm to keep it from pulling you under. So this morning, where do you need to experience Jesus' rescue for you? And where, where do you need his peace to guard your heart and your mind? Just sit with that for a moment. Where do you need that? Do you need the rescue of Jesus? Where do you need his peace to guard your heart and your mind?